Good morning, church. Good to see you guys here. Thanks, Mike. If I haven't uh, gotten a chance to meet you yet, I'm Justin, the discipleship pastor. And uh, just glad to, glad to be here. As Brent said, we're going to dive into chapter 4 of John in just a minute. Uh, but before we do, I just want to highlight one other thing. Um, Brent wanted me to bribe him to mention this, but then I said, well, I'm going to come up afterwards. So I'll uh, wait for that on a future week, too. But in your bulletin, there's this green insert. Um, and I just want to highlight it uh, just one last time for you. If you want to grab it real quick, um, we're still looking for about six to ten um, couples or singles that are interested in becoming a, a small group host. And um, you can see all of, of what that entails there, but we're doing an info meeting to just give you some more details. And here's the basics you need to know. Do you have a place you can meet, and do you have a few friends? If you do, we'll give you everything else, okay? We have a, a video teaching by Pastor Greg. Uh, we have some study guides, some leader material. So you have everything from us to help you do it. You just need to have some friends and a place to stay. And if you're new or maybe, you know, I don't know why you're high maintenance or what, you don't have a lot of friends, that's okay. We'll try and find some for you to, to plug into your group too. But again, we need people of all ages, all stages of life to consider doing this as well. Uh, we have a meeting next week, but if that doesn't work, just mark that on there and we'll set up another time just to sit down and talk more. Uh, but again, just appreciate you thinking about that, considering that. Um, before we head into our big spiritual growth campaign next month. Uh, before we look at John 4, let me just uh, open us with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to gather as a community, to celebrate you, to learn more about you. And God, during those tough spots, to be encouraged, and during those joyous spots, to be an encouragement to others. Um, but God, thank you that we're able to uh, be here as a community that learns together more about you. And so even today, would you give us eyes to see uh, more of who you are and uh, what response you're calling us to as a result? Pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, I don't know how many of you remember this. Uh, this was something that happened back in 2007, and I just was reminded about it this week as I was preparing. Uh, back in, in 2007, there was a story uh, that took place, and there was a, a guy who was at the exit, near the exit for the metro station uh, for um, the subway in Washington, D.C., and this man was, was there as people were coming up the escalator before they headed out. Uh, this was during rush hour uh, in the morning, and so it was just a busy time. Lots of people are walking by, and this guy is there, uh, standing there with his violin, uh, playing for about 45 minutes, six different classical pieces during that time. Um, just, just again, kind of uh, playing some amazing pieces. And yet during those 45 minutes he's there, there was almost 1,100 people that walked past him. Uh, of those 1,100, uh, there were seven that stopped at least kind of for a moment to kind of listen um, and then to continue on their day as well. Out of, those, uh, out of those seven, you know, you had uh, a few more who didn't really stop, but as they walked by, maybe threw in a dollar or some change just on their way, but didn't really stop to take it in. None of these people, though, realized who this guy was, who was playing this music. They didn't realize the fact that uh, this was a, a world-famous musician who just nights before had played in Boston where tickets were I think averaging $100 a piece to listen to this guy. They didn't realize that he was playing a $3.5 million uh, violin as he was there as well. They were just too busy going about their day, 
to stop and to notice and see what, what is this? What is going on here? There was one person out of those seven who recognized him. It was a, a woman named Stacy who had seen him play three weeks before at the Library of Congress for a free concert. And so she recognized him towards the very end of his music. And uh, she's just grinning, taking it all in, uh, just excited. But I want to read to you what she said. Because afterwards, they were interviewing people who uh, noticed and who didn't notice. And this is what she said about this whole episode. She said, it was the most astonishing thing I've ever seen in Washington. Joshua Bell, which is the uh, world-famous musician, he was standing there playing at rush hour, and people were not stopping, not even looking, and some were flipping quarters at him. Quarters. I wouldn't do that to anybody. I was thinking, oh my gosh, what kind of a city do I live in that this could happen? And I just thought as I I read that, what a uh, great parallel with what we're going to read about today in the book of John as we read about these Galileans, these people from Jesus' hometown who didn't recognize him, who were either too busy or thought they knew who he was to really see him for who he was. Just like this musician that thousands, a thousand people walked by and none of them paused to even notice or to question, you know, who's this guy? I mean, he really knows his stuff as well. So if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 4, uh, picking up in verse 43. So John 4, 43. As you turn there, though, I'll just catch you up if you weren't here the last few weeks on what you missed. Uh, last week, the last two weeks, actually, we um, uh, learned that Jesus was in Samaria. He had this encounter with this Samaritan woman at this well who ended up coming to faith in Jesus. And so she goes back to her town, tells everyone else. They end up coming and listening to Jesus. And it just talks about this big revival going on there. All these people coming to faith as they were there listening to Jesus, finding out about who he was. Uh, There's no indication that he's doing any miracles or any healings or any of that kind of thing. Um, Actually, at the end of the section, it even just says how, um, uh, if I can find it, in verse 41 in chapter 4, and many more believed because of his word. And there's this emphasis that they just heard what he said, and they believe this really is the Savior, the Son of God. And they put their faith in them, many of those people. So that's what we're coming off of today as we pick up in verse 43. It says, after two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. So Jesus is back in his hometown. Again, remember, he grew up in Nazareth, which was part of Galilee, kind of the county, you could say. Uh, So this is his old stomping ground. Uh, It's a place where people, I'm sure, would have remembered him, known who he was. And so they're familiar with who Jesus is. But you read verse 44, where it says, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And you kind of expect they're not going to really welcome him, don't you? I mean, you read that, it says... You're not honored, you're not given honor, shown honor when you're in your hometown, and yet, what happens next? It says they welcomed him as as he came into Galilee. And really what it seems to be, and it's going to be uh, clear as we go through chapter 4, but it seems to be a superficial welcome. They're just interested because he's done these miracles, and they're just excited, thinking, oh, he's here, he's going to do more miracles uh, as as he's here, because at the end of verse 45, notice what he said. For they too had gone to the feast. Just a little before this, in um, John 2, we have Jesus in Jerusalem performing signs and miracles. It says these people were there. They saw what he did. They were excited about that. But yet even in Jerusalem, there's this same same, uh, kind of superficial faith. In John 2, notice what it says. 
Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. It's this positive thing, and they thought people are coming to faith because of these miracles Jesus did, but notice what's next. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about the human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. In other words, he knew this was just a superficial faith, a faith that was interested in these miracles, but not really seen beyond them to who he truly was, that he wasn't just a prophet or a miracle worker, but he was someone greater. And so that's the the same kind of uh, sense we get from these people in Galilee who were just excited about his miracles, but not seeing him for who he is. Verse 46 in John 4, he continues. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So you got this guy in Capernaum, just to give you a little context. Uh, You can see Galilee here, Nazareth is down on the south end there. You can see Cana, which is where Jesus and his disciples are right now. And then about 15 miles, uh, what is that, northeast of there is Capernaum. About 15 miles difference, it's on the the lake, and then Cana is about 500 feet in a higher elevation from them. So this official in Capernaum has this a uh, sick son who's dying and not doing well. And he hears this miracle worker is back. He's, he's in the region. He's going to be there. And so he leaves Capernaum, likely traveling about a day to get to Jesus. I mean, or, or a big part of a day to travel these 15 miles. And again, notice that uh, he wouldn't have known when he left, is Jesus still going to be there when I get there? He just has heard Jesus is back. I'm going to go find him. I'm going to see if this guy can heal my son. And so notice uh, in 48 what happens next. So Jesus said to him, after this man came to him, asking him to heal his son, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's kind of a harsh rebuke, isn't it, when you first read that? I mean, this man's going desperate, hoping Jesus will heal him, and Jesus says, unless you, and he's not just saying this official, this is plural, so he's saying you all, everyone who's here in Galilee, unless you guys see signs and wonders, you're not really going to um, believe in me. And for most people, that would be enough to probably discourage them, to kind of lead them on their way. But look at what this official does in verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So you have this official again who's persistent. He's going, I'm just going to put myself out there, see if Jesus will come down with me. Notice what he thought and what he expected. He expected that this guy needs to come down and physically be present to heal my son in Capernaum. That's what he's asking him. I want you to come. I think you can do this. Come on, let's go. And all Jesus says is, go, your son will live. And if you have a different translation, you probably get uh, literally what Jesus said is, go, your son lives. He leaves it kind of ambiguous. But yet that was enough for this man. Enough for him to go travel that day, to travel back to Capernaum. Likely he uh, waited till the next day, because we're going to see in a moment a reference back to yesterday. But just put yourself in that, that father's shoes. And what would you have been thinking about that day after Jesus said that, as you're waiting, as you're trying to fall asleep that night, the next day as you travel mile after mile, you know, hoping 
expecting maybe, doubting at times, you know, did, did my son really get healed or is he just barely alive still and he's not? And yet this man just, just goes from this simple word that Jesus gives. And so in 51, notice how it closes. As he was going down, his servant, servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So you got the guy, this official on his way, uh, and then his servants meet him somewhere in the middle between Cana and, uh, and uh, Capernaum. And notice the man isn't just content that his son is healed. I mean, he could have just gone, oh, that's great. You know, let's head back. And that could have been the end of the story there. Let's get back to kind of the way things were, to normal life. He asks a question afterwards. He's curious, wondering, is this just coincidence? Is my son just, you know, he just happened to be better now? And so he asks his servant, when? When did this happen? When did this take place? And he says it was the seventh hour, which is about uh, 12, 1 o'clock, uh, something like that. And he remembers, that's exactly when I was talking to Jesus. And Jesus said, go, your son lives. And it seems that this official who had just a little bit of faith to go, okay, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to trust Jesus, and I'm going to just go. Not knowing maybe at that point, is this a miracle worker, a prophet, who is this guy? And then when he finds out, this guy just spoke these words, and my son was healed at that very moment, there's something more to him. And that's why we see him and his household placing their faith in Jesus, believing in them. Um, and it seems to be a, a real, uh, uh, I guess, a, a deep conversion, you might say. Um, not just this surface level thing, where at first we're not sure. It seems here that John's really making the point that this guy really believed Jesus was more than a miracle worker or a prophet. He really put his faith in him. So I want to look at three questions today to help us better understand this passage and to begin to apply it to our lives as well. So the first question we're going to look at is, what does this miracle tell us about Jesus? You know, what does it reveal about him? Second thing we're going to look at is, what is it that prevents us from seeing Jesus for who he truly is and honoring him? And then lastly, we're going to look at what's the point John's trying to make by including this miracle in the first place. So just to start with, what does this miracle reveal about Jesus? The first thing is just that he's powerful. I mean, notice again, this official wants Jesus to come to Capernaum to physically be present to heal his son. And yet Jesus doesn't. You know, the man expected and thought he knew how this healing was going to go down, how Jesus was going to respond, but he didn't. All Jesus did is just speak these words. He didn't have to see his son. He didn't have to know, you know, what does your house look like so I can make sure I heal the right boy. You know, all he, all he needed to know was uh, this official had a son, and he was going to speak just these simple words, go, your son lives, and his son was healed. I mean, what kind of a guy has that sort of power? When you look at the Old Testament and even the other miracle workers, prophets in their day, they would have been people who physically were there when a miracle or a healing occurred. Um, and I just was thinking off the top of my head, you know, is there any instances I can think of in the Old Testament when a prophet wasn't even physically present and a miracle took place? Uh, and there may be one, but I, I couldn't think of one. All the instances that kept coming to mind was where someone was physically there. And yet Jesus has this power that he doesn't have to be there, and yet he can heal this boy from a distance with this simple formula, go, your son lives. And it makes me think of the book of Genesis, when God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
that there was power just in those simple words because of who he was, just like there is for Jesus speaking these simple words and there's power. So what about for you and I today? I mean, would you honestly say you believe Jesus is powerful, that he's powerful enough to help you get through whatever difficulty, whatever challenge you may be facing? Or do you find yourself oftentimes just taking control, trying to fix it or get through it on your own, not even giving a second thought to Christ? Do you really believe that if God chose to do so, that he could heal you fully and completely from whatever you may be facing or have? But even if he chooses not to do that, that he would give you enough strength to sustain you and to get you through that as well, that he'll give you his presence and his peace to get you through whatever you may be facing. I know there's two things that came to my mind practically just to help us remember about Jesus' power. First one, and this isn't in your notes, it's just a kind of bonus, I guess you could say, uh, some stuff that I'm giving you. But first way I just thought of to remember um, God's power in our lives is to look back. Look back in your life. Remember and look back. How has he shown up in the past when you've been praying or when you've faced maybe a difficult situation and he showed up with his peace and his strength and power to get you through it? I mean, so often as Americans, we're focused right now in the present or in the future, but we don't really look back. And yet if we look back, I think often what happens is we see God was faithful. He showed up. He answered my prayer. Maybe he'll do it again right now with what I'm facing, with what's in front of me as well. Um, And that's why that can be just so powerful, so helpful to look back and to remember, to write down what were those things, uh, those times that that God showed up and showed his power. But the other one is, I think, also just reminding us about the truths of Scripture, because sometimes we don't feel like um, things are a certain way, and yet Scripture just reminds us about the truth of how things actually are. And so a couple I just want to give you that I think would be great to memorize and keep at the back of your mind is Isaiah 59.1. Which is, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. You've probably had times like me, haven't you, where you're praying, you're asking, you're dealing with a difficult situation, and you wonder, does God even hear me? Does he even hear this prayer that I'm praying, my cry that I'm giving to him? And yet Isaiah reminds us, he hears you. He hears you. And it's not as if he's, he's not able to help As again, it says his arms are not too weak or too short to save you, that he can intervene. He can totally change the situation that you're looking at. Um, That's the God that we serve. Or as 2 Peter says, by his divine power, notice this, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. I know for me, um, the last few months, especially the last few weeks, I mean, this has been a lesson I've been learning. You know, it's something that I, I know is true, but yet when you're facing a challenging time, sometimes God kind of, kind of brings up in you, you know, do you really believe me in this area? Uh, for my wife and I, the last few months, she's had some um, health issues going on in the last couple weeks. She's had just a, a few days where she's just in a lot of pain, um, really to the point where she, It was tough for her just getting up and out of bed. And some of you, um, I know, have had to face situations like that uh, for you or for someone you love. And um, luckily, in her case, she seems to be on the upswing doing better. But these last few weeks, I mean, there's just some of those days that were tough. And, And if you've had to care for, you know, your spouse or parents or child who's just 
and pain and suffering, you know it's, it's tough to watch that, isn't it? I mean, tough knowing there's only so much that I can do. And it takes a toll on you physically as you step up and try and help and do a bunch more. Emotionally, as you just try and be there, you know, when they feel discouraged or defeated, you try and be kind of the strong one. But let's be honest. I know, at least for me, uh, some of those days, it was like, just, just, I was just in that same place, I guess you could say, that, that Cammie was, where she was just discouraged, defeated, wondering, is tomorrow going to be better or worse than today? Is tomorrow going to be more pain or less pain? And I know there was just some of the days as they wore on um, in these last few weeks where I'd get home and I'd, I'd, at the end of the day, you know, lay down in bed and I'm just exhausted from uh, the work and from being home and trying to help and then um, just, you know, again, emotionally trying to be there. And there was several different days where I was just reminded of this simple truth that God is present with us in the midst of this, that I just was asking, God, I need your help, your strength. I can't do this. I mean, it's, it wears on you day after day after day. And yet what I found is he really came through and provided both his strength and his peace more than anything else in the midst of that. Um, and I share that not to um, make it seem like I always get it right or I'm that perfect husband because I'm by far not. I totally blow it and get irritated sometimes and I'm not you know, as loving and caring as I should be. But yet in this last couple of weeks, I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm maybe getting this a little bit, maybe learning some of this lesson. And it's been so big for both of us. I know for her, we were talking about this last night and, and she said for her, it's been so helpful to just remember God's present with me. Even when it maybe feels like I'm alone in the midst of this, is God is right there with me. And that was a source of strength uh, for her. And I know for me, the same thing too. So this power of God, it's not just this abstract thing out there, but it should really cause us to respond to our our lives, our challenges, our difficulties, um, I guess differently than we have in the past as well. So think about this official in John 4 before we go to the second point. What if this official never went to Jesus? What if he didn't travel from Capernaum to Cana? Again, he had no guarantee Jesus was going to be there, but he thought, I'm just going to go and see if I can find this guy. And then when he got there, again, Jesus kind of rebukes him and these people at first, but yet he persists. And then he responds, he says, okay, I'm going to go, believing that that Jesus really did heal my son. What if he would have stopped at one of those points along the way? I don't think he, if he did, I don't think he would have seen God's power unleashed in, in the life of his son and his family. But he was willing to take those steps, to take those risks, to go, you know what, I'm going to just step out, even though it may be uncomfortable. And yet, as he did that, he experienced God's power in an amazing way. Second thing we see about Jesus in this passage is just his grace, his graciousness. When we read about this official, um, I didn't mention this earlier, but this official, we're not told a whole lot about him. Um, But in the, the Greek, this word used for official can also be translated as royal official. And what it seems to indicate is he worked for uh, Herod, who was the, the governor in kind of that region of Galilee. Uh, many referred to him as a king, but he was pretty wicked, pretty evil guy. Uh, this was the guy who beheaded John the Baptist. This was a guy who ended up taking uh, his brother's wife to become his own as well. I mean, this was a, a, a kind of guilty by association, you might say, for this official. That seems to be why he's connecting it there. This guy might have been a Gentile, but if he wasn't and he was a Jew, he definitely would not have been highly respected or looked upon. So this was somebody that, 
from the outside, you would have thought, you know, Jesus has no obligation to heal this guy, to do anything, uh, to help or to even listen. He could have just pushed the guy away. And yet he chose to be gracious and to heal this man. And, and that's something we see with Jesus throughout his ministry, especially with the Israelites, people who didn't accept him, who often, there were some, but most of them pushed him away, didn't recognize him, and yet he continued to go to them to say who he was, to offer his forgiveness to them time and time again because he is gracious. How about for us? Do you feel like you appreciate and recognize God's grace in your life? Or is it just something you've kind of forgotten and, and pushed aside and moved on from? In the book of John, uh, chapter 1, it mentions this, and it's talking about Jesus. It says, for from his fullness, or from who he is, with all of who he is, we have received, all received, grace upon grace. And the picture given here of, of grace upon grace is almost like this outpouring, this overflowing. It's gift upon gift. It's bucket full of bucket of God's grace. And don't just read that and think, okay, that's great. You know, we've all received it. Uh, but what if it said, for from his fullness, John, you've received God's, God's uh, grace upon grace. Or Betty, for from his fullness, Betty, you've received grace upon grace. I mean, think about it in that light. You know, do you recognize that God's given you grace after grace, if you're a follower of his, that he just pours it out to you, and he is so gracious to us, and yet... If we're honest, there's times, I know for me and maybe for you, where we just overlook it. We forget about it. And I'll get to, I think, one of the reasons why we do that in a minute. But sometimes I think it's just because we focus on that hardship, that thing right in front of us, that we don't see anything else to the sides. And yet if we were to just kind of avert our eyes from that challenge, that difficulty, that thing in front of us, and look around a bit, I think we'd see God's grace is all around us. Even if it's not in maybe something physically that's going on, some physical blessing, just simply having his presence, knowing I'm not alone in this, he's with me, is a huge grace in and of itself. So we see these, these two things about Jesus, things that are still relevant for us today. But what is it that prevents us from seeing Jesus for who he is, from giving him the honor that he was due? Because again, in John 4:44, Jesus said, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. The, the people that should have recognized him and known who he was didn't. Um, and didn't honor him as such. And so for you and I today, what prevents us, I'm going to mention two that I think are relevant to us and to the Galileans, uh, prevents us from seeing Jesus and honoring him for who he is. And the first is this, the sense of entitlement. It's that feeling we get that we deserve something or we're owed something. Um, we've probably seen it, you know, around us in, in culture before. But for the Galileans... Uh, again, at the end of uh, uh, verse 45, or in the middle of 45, notice again what it said. Having seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, they welcomed him. They were expecting him to do signs and miracles. Uh, they were thinking, you know, if he did them in Jerusalem, he's going to do even more when he's back in his hometown, when he's back with people that know him as well. And yet all they were seeking out with this entitled attitude was these miracles, not really seeking to see Jesus as he really was. For us today, you look in culture, and I mean, entitlement is a pretty big thing, isn't it? I mean, especially, I'm, I'm sure, for those of you who are, you know, 50, 60 plus, you probably think back when you were kids and things were very different in terms of just that entitlement mindset and attitude. And yet so often, especially in students today, there's just this, 
this feeling that, you know, I deserve it or I've earned it or you owe it to me to do this. Um, just a sense of, of entitlement that we can have in so many arenas, but yet spiritually, when that begins to creep in, what it does is it makes us uh, take for granted and lose a sense of awe and wonder at God's grace. God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't give to us because he has to. He gives to us because he chooses to. Notice in Psalm 103 what we deserve, what we're owed. He says he does not treat us, notice this, as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. What do our sins deserve and our iniquities deserve? They deserve judgment. They deserve being separated from God. They deserve uh, his wrath in that sense. Uh, That our sins deserve whether they're small sins or large sins, whether they're sins that we just dismiss and think, you know, that's not a big deal. Or we go, hey, that's a big deal that that guy just did over there. Whatever, whatever range the sin may be, we still deserve judgment and punishment for it. And yet God doesn't treat us because of his grace as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. He offers us grace, not because it's expected or deserved or earned, but because he chose to give it. And the moment we begin to think, you know, we've earned it, his grace becomes less and less amazing because it's expected. Well, of course God's going to do that. Um, think about this. Is there any areas in your life where you'd say, okay, I kind of expect or think God owes me or I deserve this because I'm following him, I'm being a good Christian. You know, you fill in the blank. Is it that I should be healthy, that I should maybe have a, a, a promotion at work or have some money in the bank or... You know, maybe it's an even bigger one that I, I should have a family that doesn't have, you know, major issues going on, or I should have a dad who's not an alcoholic, or, you know, you, you fill in the blank. There are things you think, you know, I deserve this. You know, I'm doing my best to, to follow Christ. He should give this to me. He should do this for me. And yet grace says we don't deserve anything. What we deserve is God's punishment and wrath, and yet he is so gracious to pour out grace upon grace to us. So I want you to just think, think about that in your own life. You know, have you seen that? Besides entitlement, I think the other thing we can have is pride and familiarity. And pride and familiarity, it's really one of those things where you think you know someone, but you really don't. You know sometimes things about them or kind of know who they are, but you don't really know them in a, a very close and intimate way as well. It's really kind of an overconfidence, you might say, um, where you think, I know him enough, so I don't need to really kind of get to know him any further. And with the Galileans, I mean, you can imagine this attitude. We grew up with this guy. We know his parents, his, his uh, siblings. You know, this is just a, a prophet, a miracle worker. This is just Jesus. We know he grew up in Nazareth. We know who this guy is. And yet they were blinded to the fact that Jesus is son of God, the Messiah, the one who came to forgive them. And they totally missed it. For us today, I love this uh, quote uh, from Billy Graham. He said, most of us know about God, but that's quite different from knowing God. And I think we sometimes confuse familiarity with intimacy. You know, familiarity is when you know things about people. Often it's an acquaintance. It might not have even been someone you've met. You know, oh yeah, I know who the president is. I know some things about him. But you don't know him in an intimate, personal way. Intimacy requires time, intentionality, effort to really get to know someone, to really, to really uh, I guess, invest in that relationship. It requires more. I mean, imagine a, a married couple who didn't 
invest in their relationship, who didn't, who were content with just being familiar with each other, that they got to know each other, and then when they said, I do, they said, you know, that's, that's good enough. I know them. I know who they are. I mean, what kind of a relationship are they probably going to have? It's probably not going to be one where they're spending a whole lot of time with each other, you know, probably not looking forward to being with each other. You're probably not saying the kindest, nicest things to one another because you're just taking each other for granted. You're thinking, yeah, I know them. I know who they are. You know, of course they love me and stuff. You just take it for granted. And yet, I know we have some couples, you've been married 20, 30, 40 years, and you would say things have gotten better and better because we've continued to invest, continued to get to know each other, continued to draw closer to each other, to learn more things about each other. I know for, for my wife and I, it'll be nine years in a couple of weeks that we've been married. And, you know, for me, I can think, you know, I know her much more now, and she knows me much more now than when we started. And the flip side is, I think we both love each other and enjoy being with each other that much more as a result. You know, not just because we know the good things about each other or, you know, kind of the funny quirks about each other, but also because we know how each other's broken. We know those areas as well, and yet we go, you know what, I I love you just as you are. Yeah, we're going to get through this. Yeah, God's going to change and transform you, but the love grows over the years. The joy grows as well. And how much more so should that happen in our relationship with Christ? A friend, friend of mine said, um, he came across this quote, and it was how many of us are content to know Jesus to the point of salvation, but then beyond that, to know him no further. That we just think, I know enough. I don't need to get to know this Jesus anymore. I got my, my fire insurance. I'm okay now. And yet we're missing out on so much of God's love, his peace, his joy, so many things if we were to just get to know him in a greater way. So I want to kind of look to that last question we had. We talked about some of what this miracle says about Jesus, some of why we don't always see him as he is and honor him as a result. But what is it that, what point is John trying to make in this section? Why does he even include this miracle versus something else? In its place. And I think part of it goes back to John uh, 1. I don't remember if I got this on screen. Nope. Uh, so, John chapter 1, if your Bible's still open, if not, I'll read it to you. In verse 11, notice what it said about Jesus. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, part of what John seems to be doing is creating this contrast. Jesus has come into the people that should have seen him as he is, should have recognized him, and yet they didn't. They were blinded for some of the reasons we mentioned and probably for others as well. And yet he says to all who did believe, who did recognize him, he gave them the privilege to become children of God. We just read uh, the last couple of weeks about the Samaritans who did that. Now we read about this official who wouldn't have been highly looked upon and might have even been a Gentile that again came to faith in Christ. And so John's whole point is he's pointing out these miracles, pointing out this faith, is really how when you begin to see Jesus for who he truly is, that it changes you. And it really becomes clear in John, uh, John chapter 20, where Jesus said this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And the whole hope is that these miracles, you see, they point to 
the reality of who Jesus is. That you see him as more than just a prophet or a miracle worker, that he truly is son of God, the savior of the world, that you would place your faith in him as a result and not just stop before that. And again, the Israelites and the Galileans so often stopped prior to that. But yet for the Samaritans, for this official, they were willing to keep going, to, to put their faith in him as they got to know him in a greater way. And so I want to just uh, give you a few things to think about, uh, kind of three groups of people. First is maybe you're someone that's never really uh, explored who Jesus is. I mean, if you were honest, maybe you've, you've been here before or you've come for a few weeks, but you've never really invested the time to go, who is Jesus really? You know, not just what other people say, but what has he said about himself? And you've never really taken the time to honestly explore it. I want to challenge you not to, to come to Christ, but to just take the first step in exploring and saying, I'm going to check it out. Um, an easy way to do that is uh, you can use an orange card and just write starting point or mark starting point on there. And over 10 weeks, you'll get to learn more about who is Christ, what is faith, what is this thing really all about, to hopefully answer the questions you may have and to just give you a better understanding of who he is. So then you can decide, okay, is this really the son of God? Is this someone I'm willing to put my faith in? For others, though, you have enough information. You've you know, heard enough or read enough or talked to enough people that you, you can put your faith in Christ, but you've resisted. Maybe because of pride, maybe because you thought, I don't know if I, I need this or not. You know, maybe you're thinking, I, you know, I'm not good enough. You know, I don't know what the reason may be, but I want to just challenge you. Take the first step. Maybe you still have questions after that, and that's good. But don't let that stop you from taking that first step to begin to follow him and then continue to get those questions answered, continue to find out more. But for others, maybe you're just in that spot that you'd say, I'm a follower of Christ, but I've honestly probably just settled for where I'm at right now, for what I know of God. Um, that it's something I do, I go through the motions, but I don't really feel like I'm leaning on his power and strength with each day. I don't feel like I'm really seeking to get to know him and grow closer to him, that I'm familiar with him, but I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I have an intimate relationship with Jesus. And I want to encourage you to go further. I mean, if you're not doing it now, just start simple and start spending some time every day reading the Bible. I mean, it's something that you assume everyone is doing, but to be honest, from things we've seen, most people don't. And yet just that simple thing is you're getting to know Jesus in a better way. He's going to begin to reveal things to you, begin to transform you, begin to do things in your life. So as we close, I just want to pray for you. The band's going to play, and I want you to think about where you're at and what God may be calling you, what step he may be calling you to take. So let me just pray. God, thank you again that we can be here, we can learn more about you, and that we can be changed as a result of who you are. God, would you show each of us where we're blinded to who you are, where maybe we need to take a step to trust you or to step out and take a risk? But God, would you just speak clearly to each of us uh, as we think about these words that we've read, this uh, event that took place in the life of your son when he was here on the earth. We pray these things in your name. Amen.